Good morning. It's great to be here with you. I have to tell you that when Pastor Donnie asked me if I would share my favorite verse with you, I kind of chuckled. Well, first I had a panic attack. And then I kind of chuckled because the ladies in Roots Bible study on Monday nights know that um, I have a lot of favorite verses. In fact, I may or may not have been heard to say on occasion or pretty much every time we're starting a new book, this is my favorite book. There is just so much good stuff in the Bible. I just, it's really hard to pick a favorite. Speaking of all the good stuff that's in the Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you today and you'd like to have one, just raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. If you just forgot yours at home, you can borrow one and put it in the back when you're done. But if you don't have one, please take this as our gift to you. We love God's Word around here and we want everyone to have a copy. Well, I am excited about the verse that I'm going to share with you today because it really is my favorite verse, or one of my favorite verses. And uh, the reason it's so dear to me is that this verse, when I got a hold of the truth of this verse, it really changed my life. So we're going to look at this verse and take it apart and see what we can learn from it today. So turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It will be on the screen as well. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, when you're studying a verse out of the Bible, it is a really good idea to make sure that you're looking at the text in context, the big picture, and and find out where that text falls and what's happening around it. So I, I went back before verse 10 to see what this was all about. And what this is about, the book of Ephesians is actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. The people at Ephesus were the Ephesians. The people at LifePoint would be the Life Pointians, but he wrote this to the Ephesians as a letter. And prior to chapter 2, verse 10, he had been talking to them about a number of things. And one of the things that he'd been explaining very clearly was that how they, before they had become Christ followers, that they were dead in their sins. But once they became followers of Christ, they were made alive as they experienced a new birth in a relationship with God through. Jesus Christ. The two verses prior to verse 10, Paul makes it very clear as he lays the groundwork for verse 10. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So, Paul is making the point that God saves us, forgives us of our sins, not because of our works, but because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done for us. It's his grace, his work for us, his sacrifice on our behalf, that is what allows us to be forgiven and brought into right relationship with God. We could never do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff we've done in our life. And thankfully, we don't have to. All we have to do is to receive this free gift of being saved by faith. And faith means just believing that Jesus died on the cross, not only for the sins of the world, but for your sins and for my sins. So when we choose to believe that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to give his life for us, that makes us want to give our lives to him. 
So therefore, we are not saved from our sin because we work. We work because we are saved from our sin. Our service to God is our response to his love. And when we get hold of the truth of how much he loves us, it makes us want to do all we can do for him and be all we can be for him. But in order to do all we can do for him and be all we can be for him, we have to really understand who we are. And that's what we're going to learn in verse 10. So let's start unpacking that verse. Let's go to Ephesians 2.10. First of all, it tells us that we are his handiwork. Now, Paul would have written this letter to the Ephesians in Greek, and I like to go back to the, the Greek dictionary and find out the, all the meanings of the words that Paul used when he was writing this letter. And, and I found out that the Greek word for handiwork is the word poema, and that's the word from which we get our word poem. And I thought about that. What is a poem? Well, it's a carefully constructed piece of literature in which the words and the lines are placed in precision in order to convey an idea or express a thought or give a vivid description of something. So if Paul is saying we are God's poem, that tells me that God wants to convey his message through us, that he wants to describe what he is like to the world through our lives. Another meaning of this word handiwork is masterpiece. Now I know about myself, and if you know me, I can easily be termed as a piece of work, but a masterpiece, oh my goodness, that's a whole different thing. But God's word is telling me and you that we are his masterpiece, and that gives us a completely different picture of who we are in him. One of the commentators that I read was talking about the construction of the the sentence in Greek, and he said that this phrase, we are his handiwork, was um, emphatic so that if you literally read it in the Greek, it would say, his handiwork, we are, which I loved because not only does it sound just like something Yoda would say, but also it puts the emphasis on God, his handiwork, we are. He came first, then we came, we're his idea. Well, after establishing who we are, God's handiwork, his poem, um, Paul goes on to say that we are created in Christ Jesus. I looked up the word created. I figured I knew what that one meant, but it's always good to take a look anyway. And as expected, uh, part of the meaning of the word created as it's used here means formed and shaped. And it's very much like what David the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 when he said that God created my inmost being and knit me together in my mother's womb. God, our creator, has carefully woven us together. And knowing this, none of us should live our lives as if we're some kind of accident. Whether you are a Christ follower or whether you're just here checking out this whole God thing or if someone dragged you here kicking and screaming this morning, it doesn't matter. You're not an accident because God's word says that you're not. So when you were born, you can be sure that God didn't say, oops, How did that happen? Even if your parents said, oops, how did that happen? I uh, am fairly certain that my parents may have said oops uh, around about the time that I came along because I'm the last of four children and I know that my family, but prior to my coming 
to the world, had uh, two adorable daughters, and they finally had their boy. They had the son. And I won't go into all the details because this isn't, you know, we didn't give the PG-13 warning, but um, let's just suffice to say that a family planning decision was made somewhere along the way that involved something called the rhythm method. And now I know it would be a little offbeat to talk about the rhythm method in Sunday morning church, and I don't want to have any negative repercussions afterwards. So I just, I'm going to suffice to say that maybe if my parents' lives were a movie and you went back and listened to the soundtrack, you could probably hear a faint uh uh-oh somewhere around the beginning of 1961. And now you can do the math and figure out how old I am. But the thing is, even if my parents said oops, even if they said "Uh uh-oh, when I was born, God didn't. He created me. He knit me together and he created you and knit you together too. He formed us, created us, and we are living, breathing displays of his handiwork. Now, as I further studied this word created, I found out that it also carries with it another meaning. And it carries with it, especially when you put it with the next part of the phrase, created in Christ Jesus. The word created takes on the idea of being transformed, not just formed and shaped, but transformed. So not only are we alive and breathing and our heart is pumping blood through our body, but when we who are created as God's handiwork choose to follow Christ, we begin a new life of transformation because we're in Christ Jesus and we who God formed are now being transformed. Paul described it this way in another letter that he wrote, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is a big deal. Even Paul used an exclamation point. I love exclamation points. So when I see one in the Bible, I get really excited because to me it's saying, pay attention, this is good stuff. You don't wanna miss it. And it is good stuff because what he's saying here is that there is more to this life than just marking our days off while we're breathing. We can choose to follow Christ and we can experience the excitement and newness of what Jesus described as life to the full, this life in which he is transforming us and making us into everything that he created us to be. So you can be sure that God will never look at you and say, oh no, what am I going to do with him? Or What in the world am I going to do with her? Because you know what? God knows exactly what in the world he wants to do with us in the world. Because Ephesians 2.10 then at the end says, God has good works he prepared in advance for us to do. He'd already planned it. And you have probably noticed that we're all very different people. We're born with different personalities, different temperaments. And of course, while our environment does play a role in how we ultimately turn out, we all have unique wiring. We have our, our, our personalities that we're born with. You can see it in the tiniest, tiniest baby. I was talking about this with a gentleman the other day, and this man has a set of quadruplets. And they, uh, years ago, they had three boys and one girl girl. 
And he was talking about those three boys. He said, they are so different. Even though these boys were born literally minutes apart, same parents, same gene pool, same hospital, grew up in the same house, went to the same church, went to the same schools, these guys are light years apart. He said that one of them is extremely type A and organized. You can tell by his closet, which is arranged by color with all the clothing spaced exactly evenly apart. He said the another one is, you know, he keeps things fairly orderly, does what he needs to do to get by, and, you know, he's fine with that. And then the other boy, um, they don't really know what his room looks like because he can't really open the door because there's stuff just piled up everywhere in the room. And he also said their personalities are different. One of the boys is really shy. Another one is friendly, but he's reserved, while the, uh, the last one, the third one, is just over-the-top extrovert. He just walks into a room and commands the attention of everybody in the room. So these boys who were born at the same time in the same place to the same parents and were raised the same way are worlds apart in their personality and temperament because they were pre-wired by their creator to be unique. Each of us has our unique personality. And for those of us who are Christ followers, it doesn't stop there because each of us also has another element to our lives as we are being transformed into becoming everything God called us and created us to be. We have this thing in our lives called a spiritual gift. And what this is, is when we make the decision to become a Christ follower, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives. And Paul talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians 12. You might want to read it later and just see what all he has to say. But one thing he says is that every believer, every Christ follower has at least one spiritual gift. Now, I'm really, really simple, so this is my simple way of seeing this, this whole theological thing. When you choose to accept God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit is one of the three of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the way I kind of uh, simple that down for myself is that Jesus came to earth, he put on skin to show us what God is like. He died on the cross. He rose again. And when it was time for him to go back to his father, he told his followers, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So he sent the Holy Spirit, who's kind of like Jesus without skin, to come and live in our lives, to teach us and guide us and equip us for the work that God has for us to do. So the Holy Spirit shows up on your doorstep and you invite him in. And the first thing you see is that he's carrying this huge bath. Galatians 5.22 talks about this and, and says it's the fruit of the Spirit. So I envision it as a big fruit basket. And it's full of these wonderful things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All of the fruits of the Spirit are sweet and appealing. And even if you have not been particularly loving or joyful or kind or gentle or self-controlled in the past, once you become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and gives you the option of picking the, that spiritual fruit to live it out in your life. You can choose to be loving. You can choose to be joyful.
Well, then to just further the notion that you are the apple of God's eye and called to live a very fruitful life, it's almost like the Holy Spirit digs in his luggage and pulls out a gift box and he hands it to you and you notice that this box is wrapped in your favorite color wrapping paper and there's a tag on it that says, to you with love from God. You see, it is a gift from God's heart to yours given by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual gift and it's guaranteed to fit you perfectly because it was custom made for you by the one who created you and loves you most and knows you best. So you've been presented this gift and now the choice is yours. Will you unwrap it? Will you stick it up on the shelf and just admire the wrapping paper and ultimately forget about it? Will you keep it in the box or will you get it out and use it? Well, Paul, when he's talking about this in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, don't ignore it. I do, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning your spiritual gifts. So what he's telling us is that we are to do our best to pay attention to those gifts, to discover the gift God has given us, to take it out of the box and use it to give God glory and to give our lives purpose and meaning and fulfillment. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. And he specifically designed us with our personality and our temperament. And now he gives us a spiritual gift that will work very well with that personality and temperament. And he wants us to use our gift to accomplish the good work that he prepared in advance for us to do. So what will happen if we just decide to ignore our spiritual gift? Well, a couple of things can happen. One is you might never do anything of value. You might just live out your life and mark your days while you're still breathing and really never do anything that has eternal value. Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum and you might wear yourself out doing things that you were never called or gifted to do. I have seen some people choose an area of service to God just simply based on what they thought others expected them to do. I've also seen people do what I call the martyr approach where, you know, they say, well, if I don't do it, I don't know who else will. You know, just martyrdom. I'm thinking, how's that working for you? It doesn't sound real joyful to me. Well, other people do what they do because they'd feel guilty if they didn't do it. But I have learned that service that is motivated by martyrdom or guilt or the expectations of others is exhausting but service that is motivated by the calling and gifting of God on our lives is exhilarating. Doing what we're not called and not gifted to do can leave us frustrated and fed up. But doing what God has called us to do with the gifting that he's given us as we trust him to enable us to do it is freeing and fulfilling. So where do you start? How can you discover the good work that God prepared in advance for you to do? There are a number of ways to do it. And one of the million things I love about LifePoint Church is they don't just give you a truth and then expect you to figure it out on your own, but they have practical next steps that you can follow. And we have a very practical step you can take even this afternoon. You can go to the website that's gonna flash up on the screen, lifepointchurch.com me. You can go there and find an online spiritual gifts assessment. Do The instructions are very clear. Follow them all the way through, including letting the staff know that you took the assessment. 
Now, this assessment isn't a test. It's just something, it's a tool that will give you an idea of your personality and gifting. But it's not magic. I'm not saying that if you go there and do that this afternoon, that presto changeo, you'll suddenly be in the middle of life-changing, earth-moving ministry. The online assessment is a, is a starting point, but you also just kind of have to take some time and assess yourself. Think about what it is you're passionate about. What kind of things do you like to do? What gives you life when you do it? What do you look forward to doing? Those are clues as to what God might have gifted you to do. When I took the spiritual gifts assessment a few years ago and discovered that I ranked high on um, teaching as a gift, it wasn't a complete surprise to me because as I looked back over my life, I realized that I had always loved teaching. I remember being just a little girl and my mom came home with a teacher edition of an English book and I loved that book. I would line up my stuffed animals and my baby dolls in my room and I would do lesson plans and I would teach them how to, you know, have proper punctuation and grammar and diagramming sentences. It was awesome. And I must have been pretty good at it because when I graded their papers, they always made A's. So, must have been pretty good. But as I grew up going to school, I loved it when the teacher would ask me to tutor another student or to write something on the board. I just enjoyed doing that. Then when I was a teenager, I was asked to prepare a devotional talk. It was my first speaking engagement, and it was for the Women's Mission Circle at Mount Olive Baptist Church in Candleton, West Virginia. And I was ex excited about it. I was thrilled to get my Bible out and find the verses and write up a devotional talk and to share that with the ladies. It was just very life-giving to me, even as a teenager. I loved it so much that I signed up to teach a, a children's um, Sunday school class after that because I really enjoyed studying and teaching. So as time went on and I got older and I was a young wife and a young mom, I would sign up for Bible studies because I just love studying the Word. And many times I would be sitting in those studies and I would get this really strong strong impression that the Lord was saying, listen well, soak it in, because one day I'm going to ask you to teach that. And I remember thinking, no, I don't think so, because I'm just goofy, and I do puns, and these ladies are very serious, and they wear dresses and whatever. And I just remember thinking, not going to happen, but I still enjoyed, you know, studying. But it was almost like this little pilot light, this little flame was turned on in my heart, and I just kept getting this feeling that I better study well, because someday God was going to ask me to do something with what I was learning. Learning. So by the time years later when I took the spiritual gifts assessment and it confirmed what I was already feeling, it was kind of like that pilot light got cranked up and this fire came on in my heart and I really felt like God was perhaps calling me to teach his word. However, I didn't take the assessment one day and jump into teaching a class the next day. I wanted to make sure that it was God and not me, so I began to fervently pray that if this was what God wanted me to do, that he would open the door and then give me courage to walk through it. And it was so interesting because after I began to pray that prayer, I had these random people coming up to me. Women would come up to me and say, I wish we had a women's Bible study in our church, or I bring my kids to the children's activities and my teens, teen group. I wish there was just a class for me. And things like that began to happen. And while it's good to listen to the counsel and affirmation of people, 
I wanted to be sure that I wasn't just going to do something just because I thought people wanted me to do it. So I went to God's Word, and I asked God to show me very clearly if it was of Him and, and if it was what He wanted me to do. And I was trusting what Scripture says about itself when it says that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path because I wanted to make sure I had light for the next step and the next step and the next step. And I'll never forget the morning that I got up early and and it seemed like I was waking up early and, and getting in the Word. I got up early one morning and I opened my Bible and I came across Isaiah 50 verse 4. Here's what it says. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the Word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. And that morning, I felt like that verse jumped off the page of my Bible and straight into my heart because I realized that I truly did have an instructed tongue. I was so blessed to have been brought up in a godly home. I had awesome biblical teaching from the time I was born. I had been the benefactor of wonderful pastors and teachers in my life, and I was instructed in the Word. I didn't know it all. I still don't know it all. But this verse encouraged me because it said that I could count on God to instruct me and teach me what to teach other people. So after that morning, I talked to God about it a bit more, and then I made an appointment to talk to my pastor and told him what had been going on in my life, and he was very encouraging. He said, let's start a Bible study. So that was 1998, and we started a study back then, and I can tell you that since 1998, every single time that I have been obedient to use the gift God's given me to bring glory to him and to share with others, he has been faithful to provide the the message and the courage to do it. He even lets me use puns sometimes. And it is just amazing how he can take this little teeny tiny bit that I have to offer him and make it into something so much better than anything I could have ever come up with on my own. I love teaching the women's Bible study. It's a lot of work teaching a weekly study. There's a lot of study. There's a lot of time involved, but I absolutely get life from it. I get energy from it. On Monday nights when we're finished and I'm driving home, I can't wait to get into the next chapter to see what God has for us. That's the way it is when you use your gift for God. He just replenishes it. You just can never outgive him. He just gives it back and gives it back. So I truly believe that God prepared me for the work that he had prepared for me. And I further believe the same is true for you. God has prepared you for the work that he has prepared you to do with your life. He created us with intention and with purpose. And he has a plan for us, if we will walk in it, that will give our lives purpose and fulfillment. So if you're here this morning and and you're not even a Christ follower, you haven't even taken that step. If you'd like to talk about that, we'll be up here afterwards because that's where it begins. That's where the transformation starts and that's what gives the Holy Spirit the, the access to activate the spiritual gift that you can use that will bring fulfillment to your life. Or if you're here this morning and and you are a Christ follower, but you just don't know what your spiritual gift is, you don't really have much of a clue, go to that website this afternoon. Don't wait because you might forget. Go and take the assessment and see what it is that comes to the top. And then think about your life and see how that all fits together. 
Maybe you're here and you're already right in the middle of using your gifts for God. And if so, I pray that this message will encourage you to keep on doing it. Because sometimes after we've done things for a while, we can begin to think, uh, it doesn't really matter. No one really cares. No one really notices. But I want to assure you that your creator cares and your creator notices and he loves it when you're trusting in him to enable you to do exactly what he created you to do. If you do know what your spiritual gift is and you've left it up on the shelf, I just want to challenge you. Get that thing out. I want you to pray up, listen up, study up, and then get up and do what God created you to do. His handiwork, you are. His masterpiece, you are. His poem, you are. So find the work He prepared for you and do it. Don't be satisfied to just spend your days, but invest your life in doing exactly what God created you to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your intentions toward us. I thank you that you love us so much, that you don't just leave us to figure out this whole thing on our own and and just make our way through life, but you really do have a plan for us. So God, I ask that you will take these words and give them fresh life and fresh meaning in our lives and help us, God, to be obedient to you. I pray that we will truly commit ourselves to doing exactly what it is you created us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're... we're, we're you know, going to knock each other over. Um, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, want to ask before you go that you would find that program wherever you put it, wherever you set it on your way in. If you'd pull it out, take it out. There are five things on the inside you need to look at. It's called the five life points. And on the back, there's even some youth news. Um, so be sure to check that out. Um, if you're new, I want to ask you to do two things before you go. Okay. The first is to take our try five challenge. Okay. And that just means Try us out for five weeks. Keep coming back, seeing what it's all about. Um, we know that it may take more than one week, so keep coming. Uh, you can go to Discover class. You can go to our Connect class. You can go out to the info booth, uh, meet some of the nice people out there, stick around after service and say, hey, uh, we could even use your help tearing down if you want. Um, and so do that. And the second thing I want to ask you to do is to fill out that orange card in there, the What's Up card. Um, just write your name on there, right who's with you. Give us a little information about yourself um, and drop it in the offering basket that's going to come by in a little bit. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. So please, uh, please fill that out. There's pens at the end of the aisle. If you're sitting there next to the pen cup, it's your job to make sure everybody else has a pen. So uh, make sure you do that. Um, so I got a couple of things I want to tell you before I want you to watch this video that's going to come up on the screen. Uh, I want you to check this out. One of our guiding principles at LifePoint is growth. And by that, we mean that we seek to provide opportunities and environments for you to take next steps of faith and to grow. For some of you, it may mean just coming back to church next Sunday. For some, it may mean opening up your Bible for the first time and starting to read it. For others of you, it could mean signing up to get in a small group. And for many of you, it may mean to take your next step of faith and follow Christ in baptism. On Sunday, August the 4th, you have an opportunity right here at Noose River to follow Christ in baptism. You don't even have to wait till then if you don't want to. We will baptize anybody on any day that they're ready. 
but I would like to invite all of you to come and witness and take part in a really powerful ceremony that takes place right here on the banks of the river. There'll be directions out at the info booth on that day, but please plan to be a part of this. If you've never followed Christ in baptism and you want to know what that's all about, simply write baptism on the back of your WhatsApp card and one of our pastors will be in touch. If you know you're ready to take that next step, also write baptism on the back of your WhatsApp card. We'll be in touch and we'll get you ready to take the next step of your faith and follow Christ in this powerful ceremony of baptism. All right, well, I wanted to wait for you to see that video before I finish telling you about those What's Up cards because that is a great way for you to indicate, hey, I want to take that step in baptism. And if you've never done it, um, if you wouldn't mind, just on the back of your card, as Donnie said, just write baptism and we'll be in touch. Uh, But August 4th is a big day coming up. So we're going to transition and we're going to take a little time of offering. And this is a time for us to give back a portion of what God's blessed us with, uh, to give back to him something that he's given to us. And as the youth pastor, I just want to stop and say, you know, uh, we've had four trips this summer for students, uh, third through 12th grade. And your generosity is one of the big reasons that some of these kids were able to go on that trip. Okay, it's not just about building buildings or planting churches, but it's about changing our family too. And I want to thank you so much for that. If you don't know anything about Catalyst, you can get information out at the booth. Uh, but as the ushers come forward and pass the baskets now, please uh, feel free to drop your offering in there and as well as your WhatsApp card. And so one last thing I want to tell you about while they're doing that is also on August 4th. That's two weeks from now. Um, who's excited to uh, move down the road to our new building? All right. All right. Yeah. Oh, you guys get vocal about it. Second service, like they didn't even say anything. They're just like, all right, so third service, I got to tell everybody, it's really excited. So we're going to go down the street to uh, Durant Road. That's a building project that we have going on. And uh, I'm sure everybody wants to know the date. I kind of want to know the date too. Um, Donnie assured me that on August 4th, he's going to tell us what that date is, okay? So I'm just making an announcement about an announcement. I'm telling you that you should come back two weeks from now and you'll hear the actual date. So uh, be sure to be here then on August 4th, not just for baptism, uh, but also for that important announcement. Uh, don't forget to go home today and uh, go to lifepointchurch.com slash me and take the challenge that uh, Cindy gave you to, what she say? Pray up, listen up, study up, and get up. That's right. That's what I heard her say. So uh, make sure that you do those things. You guys go be the church. Thank you so much. We love you.